Welcome to the Cashflow Chronicles. I'm your host, Johnny Catani, and the founder of Catani Capital Group. For the last two years, I've been studying alternative assets and now help solve the problem of creating passive cash flow for creators, influencers, and busy professionals by bringing you five episodes a week of easy to understand education in the world of passive investing. What's up, guys? And welcome to another episode of the Invest Relations Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Catani, and I am joined today by Keely Hubbard. Keely is a managing partner of Hubbard Capital Group, where she invests in large multifamily and Texas vineyards. She's also a sales coach with over 17 years of experience in sales and executive leadership. Keely, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're very excited to have you. Uh, a lot to talk about. Uh, we don't get to talk about uh, vineyards often, especially Texas vineyards. But before we get to that fun stuff, um, you know, you've obviously got a, a nice resume. So kind of just give us a, a quick backstory of, of what led you to where you're at now. Yeah, you bet. So like you mentioned, I come from the corporate world. I left, I say I escaped. <laughs> I escaped about five Same. years ago um, this coming November. But background in sales. I love sales. It's my passion. So I've got a separate consulting firm, but when I left, you know, I was in the financial education space. Even when I was in corporate, I grew up with my father, who's my partner, uh, trading the financial markets, Forex futures options, managing money. So I'd been around this industry for over a decade um, and always had this passion for helping people just take more control over their own future and not leaving it in the hands of wall street. When I left corporate, it really opened up my time. I mean, I was traveling 23 days a month when I was VP of sales. And so I didn't have time to go into business with my dad. And he said, listen, we're, we're getting out of these crazy markets. Um, at the time, interest rates were compressing. So he couldn't get his great movement in the Forex market, which is what he was trading. We need to move into hard assets. I'm going towards real estate. Do you want to join me? And we'd been in business together before. We make a great team. He's the analytical brain. Um, I'm the people side of it <laughs> and uh, the, the marketing piece. And so we started our journey, you know, a few years back in uh, multifamily. And since then, I've moved into the agriculture space with uh, ground up development of vineyards uh, here in Texas. So in short, that's that's the story. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, in business with your dad, I don't think many people can can say that. And that's great. You have complimentary skills because that's really the key to a good partnership anyway. Um, very cool. Well, okay. So let's start with the vineyards then. How, how did that even, you know, come about? You, you mentioned offline that you syndicate them. So mm -hmm. for those uh, passive invested investor listeners, it's an opportunity. So, so kind of talk, talk about that. Yeah. You know, my, uh, my father's got I mean, we have a family ranch, but it was always his dream to buy a bunch of land. And so he recently purchased that. Um, if you've ever you know, heard of ranches in Texas or just land in general, you run cattle on them just to help make the land payment. He's always looking for income opportunities, ag exemptions, and he knew vineyards could provide you know, a decent amount of revenue to, uh, to cover the cost of the land. So he wanted to put like 30 acres on it. That was the plan. He mentioned this on another podcast that he was, he was on as an interview and they're like, what do you do for fun? And uh, from that interview on that podcast, somebody called me and they're like, Hey, you don't know me, but I need to talk to your dad. And I never thought anything of it. So I was like, all right, well, here's his number. And, you know, they connected and it's our vineyard partner. I mean, these are very skilled vineyard operators, they're agriculture. I mean, viticulturalists, generational farmers have created a huge operation on their own of a privately funded vineyard in Texas. And they wanted to expand. There's a huge supply gap in the wine grapes here in Texas, but they knew they needed a partner that could help them scale and bring in investors. And so underwrote it for like a year and a half. And then we were off to the races. So we've got 
they have their own 350 acre vineyard. We just syndicated another 385 acres uh, and we're about to purchase another 640 to develop this year. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. So what, what is the development like? Obviously, you know, vineyard wine grapes, pretty sensitive, right? So, you know, you don't typically hear of the Texas heat and soil being the the ideal place, but sounds like it can work. So what are the keys in development there when, when you're developing a vineyard? Well, obviously, like you said, it's, it's climate and it's soil. And the place where we develop here in Texas is in the high plains. And that's about 45 minutes outside of Lubbock, Texas, which kind of Northwest, if you're familiar with this big old state, Um, but it's out there in the high plains. There's over, um, there's millions of acreage out there, but in this area, it's very like similar to the central climate of California. It's hot. It's very dry. There's very little humidity. There's little to no trees. I mean, it's very rare if I see a tree out there, (laughs) it's just flat farmland and gets really cold in the winters, which protects the vines when they're dormant and gets really hot in the summers, which we really do well with a lot of red wines. And the reason you probably haven't heard of, you know, Texas wine is because 95% of the wine is consumed here in state. There's not enough grapes for these wineries to take these wines out of state. And if you've ever met an obnoxious Texan, um, and if you haven't, I'll be the first one. Are there not obnoxious Texans? <laughs> There's a lot of them. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm a seventh generation Texan, love my state. And so people in Texas, it's the state pride. If we're going to drink Texas wine, we want it to be all Texas grapes. And right now farmers cannot keep up with the demand of what wineries are putting out and the growing demand for Texas wine. So, wow. Fascinating. Okay. That explains a lot then why I have not seen it in, uh, Salt Lake city is it just gets consumed in Texas. So is, is it primarily red wine? What, like, what are, what are you typically getting? Yeah, there's some, you know, there's some really good white wine. Semillon is one of my favorite uh, white wine grapes, but a lot of reds here because of the climate, you're not going to get a lot of the white grapes that require a cooler climate. Obviously here in Texas, it is super hot in the summer. So we do plant a lot of reds and what we plant correlates very closely with uh, our clients, which are the largest wineries in Texas. And they put out a lot of red wines and red grapes sell for a higher price point per ton than white grapes. So we're always trying to balance that as well with market demand and getting returns to our investors. So it's a lot of red. Interesting. And is it all reds like blend, cab, pinot, all of it? Yeah. Tempranillo. Uh, we don't do a ton of Pinot, but Tempranillo, Cab Sauv. Um, obviously that's not um, Cab. Just I have a whole list of them. I can pull them up if you're really interested in it, but there are about 13 varietals per vineyard block that we're, that we're planting. But the ones that come from the hot regions of Spain, France, and Italy, we graft them into rootstocks that work well with Texas soil. Um, and those are the ones that we, we really focus on, but the ones that can that can manage the crazy heat that we have here. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. And and so from the investor standpoint, what, what does that look like? It's more, I mean, it's a legacy play the way that we've, we have investors that, um, you know, obviously done a lot of multifamily with us and the way that we position it to them is this is for the portion of your portfolio that you want the cash flow long-term. A lot of our multifamily projects, as I'm sure you've experienced, a lot of investors have experienced over the last few years are five to six year projects and they're flipping <laughs> in two to three. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're getting big chunks of money back. And it's like, okay, well, I was hoping for passive returns, love the returns that I got, but now what do I do with this money? So vineyards are a 25 year cash flow play. Um, you plant them once and they run for 25 years. So that's what's been really attractive to our investors is the long-term aspect. Wow. 
Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And is it in tranches, right? Obviously, uh, a lot of development um, happening for you guys. So, you know, are you able to get in in the development? Is, is there some sort of return there? Or is it kind of, you know, hey, it's going to be, you know, three to five before cash flow starts? Well, we got creative uh, for the second block. We're referring to them as blocks. A block is ideally 320 acres, 290 of those acres are planted. The remaining acreage is for turn rows for the tractors, barns, things like that. Um, but we, you know, we do them in specific to um, to the acreage. So investors are coming in for that specific development. This year, we got creative in trying to lock up land prices for block three. So like block three, we wouldn't launch until 2023. But we don't want word spreading in that area that we're buying land and people jacking up our land costs. So we're buying the land in advance and we're going to do a land flip and flip it to the third block and give our investors a return in years two and four from that. And then returns kick in above above 33% in year five once we hit full harvest. 33% cash on cash? Yeah. Holy So you got to (laughs) wait, you got to wait for the, you know, we really spend the first few years training the vines, making sure we have a really strong wood stock, but we, uh, as cheesy as this is my dad, he's big dad joke person, but he's like, the juice is worth the squeeze. (laughs) I know. Right. There's more where that came from. Oh man. I love dad jokes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's so great. I love that so much. Okay. Awesome. And so, you know, was it pretty, I shouldn't say easy, but for lack of better words, was it pretty easy to, you know, kind of have that conversation with your investor group and, and help them understand the investment and and why it's, you know, could be so appealing? Oh yeah. I mean, the crazy thing is we have investors that when they heard about what we were doing, we actually had an investor out with us uh, on site because a lot of our multifamily properties are in Lubbock, which is 45 minutes away from the vineyards. And uh, he's invested in both. And when he heard we were doing vineyards, he's like, I'm in. And my, we said to him, you don't even know what the returns are yet. He goes, I don't care. I know you're not doing this for fun. <laughs> you're doing it to make money. And I want to diversify into the ag space. So wine grapes are the most profitable um, agriculture investment out there. So I think a lot of our investors from both a novelty perspective, they love the idea of owning a piece of a vineyard, but also really understanding the story. And this is a once in a three to four decade type of an opportunity here that is not going to be around forever. I really feel is what drew people in. Once we fill this supply gap, you know, it's, it's done. We're not going to keep developing vineyards for years and years. Fascinating. Okay. And then, uh, is this, you know, like obviously five or six seats since we're just talking about it, right? Accredited investors. Um, and then, you know, do they get the wine or, you know, is it all just cash flow? What, what does that look like? We actually do 506Bs on the oh, okay. previous two offerings that we've done. We have a lot of investors that are not accredited that are building their wealth. Nice. Um, and we like to bring those people along. I think that's that's really important to just the heart of our mission is making sure we're helping people that aren't necessarily there yet that are in the building phase. So uh, we've, you know, we've done 506Bs. We plan on continuing to do that in the future. We would love to bottle some wine. I mean, we do have a plan for that. Our partners have actually got a custom crush facility and a winemaking facility too. So kind of got our hands in all all pieces of the supply chain, but we do plan on bottling some wine. That's great. I mean, obviously a partner like that is key, right? This is not something that, you know, just, you know, I have generation farmers in my family as well. You know, we, you know, Idaho's right. Can't just turn around and, and plant, <laughs> plant, 
plant grapevines and, and uh, you know, be successful. Yes. Uh, is there a depreciation opportunity as well? How does that work since it is primarily just land? There is. I mean, we can depreciate. We're buying 240,000 uh, steel T-posts. We can depreciate the T-posts. We can depreciate our, we have over a million dollars of equipment per vineyard block of just big tractors that harvest and prune for us. You can depreciate that. We can also depreciate the land that the aquifer sits on top of. So it's a piece of the aquifer that we're depreciating. So, you know, we're seeing in 2023, even with bonus depreciation dropping to 80%, we're still seeing a 49% year one tax benefit. Sick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All we've right. got cost seg firms handling it for us, just like you would multifamily. Right, right. Okay, fascinating. All right. Well, I'm definitely, I'm definitely very interested. <laughs> it's pretty I'm, cool. Yeah, it is very cool, right? It, it's one of those, like you said, opportunities that really just doesn't come along mm-hmm. often and could potentially, you know, not present itself again. So obviously you guys have, you know, built up a uh, a strong list of investors. What has been the key for you in, in building that list? You know, I, you know, my sales background. So for me, the the capital raising is sales and my passion for years has always, it's never been about selling or pitching a deal. It's always been about building relationships. And as cliche as that sounds, we never wanted to build an investor list. We wanted to build an investor community of people that like we would go on vacation with that we would love to have over for dinner, even though they're located all over the place, (laughs) all over the U S and some international, we, we would love to spend time with them. And I think that you, when you just present as yourself, you really draw, you find your tribe, people find you. And we did an investor webinar for the vineyard. And one of our investors uh, texted us and he said, this was by far the most entertaining investor webinar I've ever been on. Keep it up. And it's because like even our offering webinars, we treat it like a party. Everybody shows up with wine or a cocktail. There's plenty of dad jokes. There's music. There's always music in the beginning and the end, you know, especially the the vineyard webinars. We started off with dust on the bottle or, you know, (laughs) good throwback through the grapevine. Some Marvin Gaye, we finished it with God bless Texas. So people have fun. And I think that, you know, like making investing fun again, I'm just, I'm tired of boring investor webinars. So I feel like when you do that, you really, you find the people, you find your tribe. That needs to be a hat. Make investing fun again. Right. (laughs) needs to be a hat. You should do that. Put it online, get some swag. That would be that. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that so much. Gosh, it's so nice. It does get real stuffy in here and doesn't it in this industry. And listen, there's time and place for that too. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to talk to some people who, and you got to match tone sometimes, but like you said, when you build a list of people who, you know, like a tribe, right. People you'd want to take to dinner and, And I was just having this conversation where, especially in the beginning, it can be challenging because you are looking for money, right? Mm -hmm. And if someone has money, you know, you you don't want to push them away just because you may not align with everything they say. But ultimately, that is really the key is you are going to have to tell people, hey, I don't think that our goals align. So especially, you know, kind of go back to the beginning, what were really the, the keys there? A lot of young, new people listen to the, to the show. What, what are some of the keys there? For just finding new investors? Yeah, finding new investors, you know, leaning into your voice, leaning into your story. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of building that, that brand of yourself. I mean, we all hear how important niching down is. I think that's probably one of the mistakes that a lot of people make in the beginning is they try to speak to everybody. 
and they don't want to focus on just one very small group. One of my coaching clients is not just a physician, but he's an optometrist. So niching down where all he's talking to is optometrists. That's the only group that he's targeting because he really understands their struggles, their pain points, what they do or don't have time for, what they're looking for financially in their investments. And because they're so strong in their message to optometrists, I mean, they're drawing people from all over the U.S. Like they've raised 17 million since January. So, and they just started raising capital like November last year, but got really focused on their message. So niching down is important. The other thing that I see from just coaching clients, and this applies to sales in general, I've coached sales teams for years, is you have to get in this mindset of you cannot control the outcome. You can't control how much capital you're going to raise. You literally have zero control over that. The only thing that you can control is your behaviors and what you do on a day-to-day basis. Are you sharing your message? And are you coming from a place of conviction and wanting to help people? Because I truly believe, and I've seen proof of this in my sales career and also in, in both businesses that I've run, you share your message and you remember like the heart of your business is not transactional. This is my message. This is who I am. This is who I want to help. God will bring you the people you're supposed to serve. I truly believe that. And when you let go of this, I got to control everything and strive and push and be stressed in a capital raise, it sucks all the fun out of it. And you're not going to make it long-term. So I'm like, you know what? Put your hands up and enjoy the ride. Yes, it's a roller coaster. Yes, there's crazy days, but it's your job to share your message and your heart and the right people are going to find you as long as you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and as you do get to that point and more investors, you know, starting to find you, what are some of the keys in those conversations and maintaining those relationships, even when you don't necessarily have a deal? Yeah, I think it's really understanding what they're looking for, because like you mentioned before, you have to make sure that it's the right fit. I'm not every investor that I talk to, I'm not trying to put put into the vineyard, but I am trying to serve them. So if I talk to somebody that's really more interested in multifamily and we're not doing a lot of those acquisitions right now, how can I really understand what their needs are right now and serve them by sending them to another operator that I trust and getting a referral done? So just anybody that comes across my plate, figure out what they need communicate that message in a way where it's not overwhelming. You shouldn't be getting on the phone pitching why multifamily is so amazing and why vineyards are so amazing. I try to keep the conversation focused on what are you frustrated about in your current investments? Like what isn't working? Uh, Why isn't it working? Like spending more of the time there and what are they hoping to accomplish before I ever get to talking about high level, some of the benefits and what we do. But I think you have to really build the relationship first, not go into robot mode and just pitch people. Gosh, that's so, so key. And, you know, people say that and and you're probably going to do it, right? I, I've done it. You know, I've gotten on a call so excited. Let me tell you about this deal. And you can just, you can just feel the, the lights go out, you know, and you're like, yep, I, I did that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but it's so true. I, you know, I've, when I've taught sales for years, I've called it product vomit. Like don't vomit on your investors because it's hard because you're so excited, whether it's so about excited. a specific deal or what it is that you do. The problem is you're either going to overwhelm people completely because we use this language that nobody else understands, or you're going to trigger them because people are so dang sensitive these days to any type of sales move or strategy that even excitement can feel like, oh, geez, he's about to try to close me into something. So I think that you have to really, I mean, people have called me the anti-saleswoman because I am, I hate it. I love sales, but I hate the reputation that it has. So if you can do the exact opposite and really just let your investor talk to you about what their needs are 
um, what they want, what they're frustrated with in their investments, you'll build the relationship. They'll invest with you, but you have to build that trust first and not don't pitch them. Stop the pitching. <laughs> totally. A thousand percent. You you have to add value because they can kick a can down the road right now and probably get a similar return with another operator. Right. So you have to show why, you know, you're selling you not, you know, or you're selling trust is what a mentor told me, not, not the deal, mm-hmm. right. The, the deal will, will sell itself when you kind of have that trust. And, and so as far as, you know, maintaining what does that look like for you guys? You know, just typical newsletters. Do you, you know, kind of go above and beyond with some stuff? I'm also kind of the anti-newsletter person. <laughs> You've ever heard of me? I've gotten on soapboxes about this in coaching sessions before. And it's okay if it is a newsletter, as long as you don't call it a newsletter, because whenever you're engaging your investors, they don't, people have limited time. And so we've got very small amount of time, like seconds to get their attention. The only reason that they're going to want to read whatever it is that we send out is if it's going to help them survive or thrive. And if it's not, it's just about, Hey, what's Hubbard capital group up to lately. They're like, I don't care. I don't have time for that. But if it's an email to them, that's really drawing in that emotional language of, we understand how you're probably feeling right now with inflation skyrocketing, the stock market's volatile, you know, here giving them resources. Maybe it's bringing on a CPA and doing a special webinar to help them understand passively investing. Maybe it's a webinar where you're seeing them face-to-face. We run a webinar called Through the Grapevine and we have all the fun, cheesy music and everybody knows, like everybody comes with wine, like where we can see people once a month face-to-face and build a community versus just pumping out content. Content is great, but I truly believe the more conversations that you have, the more trust you'll build, the more capital you'll raise. Gosh, that is, that's huge. Right. Because, you know, you hear content is king. And like you said, it's important, right? It's good to have it out there. Um, But yeah, kind of those fun, different, um, you know, ways of presenting yourself because you got to stand out, right? Uh, There are tons of capital raisers out there. There's a lot of operators. I think the herd is thinning as as the economy Mm -hmm. shifts, especially here over the next little bit. Um, But, you know, again, there's still a lot of really good operators out there and you have to stand out. Yeah. I mean, I calling it something different than a monthly newsletter. Um, you know, maybe it's, and I, I don't want to mispronounce your last name. Is it Katani? Yep. Or Katani? Okay. So it could be like Katani's investing corner and it, a subtitle of that newsletter, which is like investing tips, tricks, and shortcuts to help you build and protect your family's financial future, where every time they read it, they get something from it. If it's a video or it's, you know, bulleted content that you're putting out, but it's always catered to what does my investor need to see or hear to survive and thrive. And it's building that trust over time that every time I hear from Jonathan, I learn something. I walk away knowing something that will better my financial future. All right, guys. See ya. That's it. I don't even know how long. Mic drop. (laughs) Gosh, that's huge. I love that so much. Yeah, it really, really is so important. And that's one thing that I I think a lot of people struggle with, and I may be projecting because I struggle is the really standing out, right? Is niche down. I know where my avatar is, but it's really, you know, when, uh, thousand millions of people are on social media. How do you, you know, stand out and and present something in a different way than, you know, just a a webinar or an interview, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And finding your blue ocean of investors outside of the real estate space 
where you're the only person in the room that does what you do. And I've found a lot of investors in the business world where I go to speak on stage for sales. People come to talk to me afterwards that are business owners um, and they, they learn about the vineyards and real estate. You know, it, it always comes up in conversation. So finding a place where you're, you don't feel like you're competing for the same 20 investors <laughs> when you're at these real estate conferences, they're great, but find a way to be the only real estate person in the room. And what are some keys there in terms of, you know, understanding, you know, where that opportunity may be for you? I mean, it literally is as simple as starting with Google um, to find those investors, but back up one step to niche down. I always want people to think about who do I love? Who do I love working with? And where is there a passion behind my message? Like I was talking to somebody right before we got on this um, to do this episode that he's trying to figure out what's his passion. And he has this frustration and desire for baby boomers, like his parents to have better options for, to make sure that they, you know, they're at a place where they can't afford to lose money, but they're afraid to put it in the stock market. So they're sitting there in cash, just getting hammered by inflation. I'm like, if that like fires you up because it's your parents and you want to help other people's parents, and maybe that's your niche, but you have to find something that lights you up that you get really excited about. So you want to talk about it because for most people in this space, raising capital is not is the opposite of their personality. Like a lot of people, a lot of introverts are drawn to this world because they're analytical. They love numbers. They're great at that. And they're like, I don't know, do I really have to talk to people? So if you can, if that's already like working against you, if you can find a way that you have this message that you feel obligated to share with so much conviction that it's out of my hands, whether they say yes or no, but I've got to tell them about this because what's the alternative of what's going to happen to them? As we know, the stock market's already down. We don't know if this is, you know, 2008, it was just like this. We don't know if this is the next, you know, rollover or if it's just another correction, but I have to at least share this message. What they decide to do with it is up to them, but I'm tired of seeing people get hurt financially. You have to have that type of a passion for whatever group that you're going after, because that is what's going to give you the guts to show up and make the call when you don't feel like it, to show up and ask for the keynote speaking when you don't feel like it, or you're like, oh, I'm an introvert, but I'm obligated to share this message. It always comes back to the heart of your business. Gosh, I love that so much. It's so true. And really sharing that passion without, you know, over, you know, overdoing it. Yes. I love it. It's it's huge. And obviously, you know, it takes time to develop and and hone that skill. Uh, especially if you're a younger person talking to older people, that can be definitely challenging. Um, but I love it. Awesome. That's such great insight. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, if nobody else got value, I did. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love talking about this stuff. And, you know, I, um, if you're out there and you are younger, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm young. I don't think I'm in that category anymore. I'm 37, but I remember when I, when I was a lot younger and I was at 23 years old and one of my, my sales role that really grew my career, I was talking to men that were 50 to 65 about the stock market. And I'm 23 years old presenting to a room full of 50 people. So you have to get past what's going on in between your ears, telling you that you're, you don't have the authority or the credit credibility to stand there and talk to them about, I knew more about the markets than any of them. And I knew that I could help them, but it wasn't until I got out of my own way and decided which voice I was going to listen to. And people that build multi-million dollar businesses and people that struggle and never really make it, they both of those groups have the same voices going on in their head of, 
I don't know. Are they going to think you're stupid? Or do you really have the credibility? You probably shouldn't be doing this. The difference in those two groups is the people that build multi-million dollar brands decided which voice to listen to and to take action despite the fear. That's the only difference. That's, That's it. it. It's so crazy. It's so crazy when I got into this world and being like, oh, wow, you had no idea what you were doing in the beginning either. <laughs> and you made it up as you went. Holy cow. You know, yes. I'm like, cool. Great. That means that I'm doing something right. You know, Yes. people are you know, like, I've how do you a- do what you're doing? I'm like, Phew. Everybody's figuring out as they go. Yep. I was at a um a really amazing conference for women business owners this past weekend in Scottsdale. And there was a woman on stage that I, I know for a fact is making four to five million a year in her business. And for her to stand up there and say, I deal with imposter syndrome on a weekly basis was comforting to know that like it's just the survival brain of ours. It is wired to protect you. It's wired to make sure that you don't get hurt. So you have to find a way to embrace that and say, Hey, I appreciate it, but I'm going to put you in the back seat and I'm going to buckle you in, but we're driving the car this way. And you keep talking if you want, but I'm going this way (laughs) and I'm taking action despite what you're trying to tell me. Cause I know it's just coming from a place of protection, but playing it safe is never going to get you where you want to go. No, it's really not. And, and, and that is one, probably the biggest battle um, that a lot of us go through, right? That imposter syndrome, you get in a room filled with people who are doing, you know, subjectively better than you. And you're like, ah, do I even fit in here? And then you get to talking and you realize they're just a person too. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it all goes in phases, right? You, you know, in the beginning, someone who's, you know, raised a million dollars, that's a lot. Then all of a sudden you can do that. Then the $10 million people are, you know, and it keeps going, right? you know, a hundred million dollar person is intimidated by a billion dollar person, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so you realize that all along the way, there really is, you know, it's, it's mindset the whole way. It is. It's always mindset. And I have learned this from years of pushing myself and doing things that terrify me that every time you have that pit in your stomach, that's telling like those butterflies that's what's telling you, like, you're supposed to be doing this. If you think you can't, you must. And the things that you're avoiding doing in your business are the very things that will change everything for you. So you have to embrace, embrace that feeling, say yes, figure out the how later you'll figure it out, but say yes to the opportunity. Yeah, it's so true. Action is really, really the bi- the biggest thing. And, and anytime you ask someone, you know, best advice, blah, 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 and we will get there, but action really seems to be one of the top, top responses because, you know, fail fast, fail forward, however you want to call it, right. Is, you know, it's not really a failure unless you quit. You really just learned how not to do something mm-hmm. exactly. and it's celebrated in this world, you know, in the corporate world, it's, you know, shamed. And, and I know it's changing um, with a lot of these new startups and that, but, you know, you get into the business world and people are like, yeah, I want to hear about your failures. You know, I want to know what you did wrong. So I know that you'll be a good partner because you won't do that again. Right. You know, my dad said something very insightful to me this months ago, but we were laughing about, you know, only partnering with family members. (laughs) He said, you know, Keely, whether it's family or not, I'll never partner with somebody who's never lost at all because I don't know how they act when their back's against the wall. And that said a lot to me. And it's like, if you're not out there pushing yourself and you're not failing, you're, you're not, you're not skating hard enough. One of my friends, his son played hockey, competitive hockey growing up. And he said, if he went through a whole practice and never fail, it wasn't celebrated. If you're not falling, you're not skating hard enough. 
So I think it's, you know, it's taking calculated risk. It's limiting your losses, but it's putting yourself out there every day. Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it, it is, it is always wild to hear to people's different stories, how they've lost it. Some people have lost it multiple times and had to rebuild, but you realize that, you know, people are like, Oh, how can you do that? It's like, well, that's all, you know, Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I messed up. Cool. I know that I don't need to do, won't do that again, but all, you know, is to rebuild and, you know, people really do look at that and are like, okay, this person's rebuilding. I want to help them. You know, you look at, you know, bankruptcy and how people can go out and get business loans right after it's because, you know, on a business balance sheet, that person actually knows what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. They may have just over leveraged or, you know, they're different things, but yeah, it is fascinating to see. Resiliency. Absolutely. I love it. Awesome. Well, let's wind down here. We'll jump to the final five. This has been incredible. So I'm so grateful. I wish we could keep going, but first question, best advice you've gotten from a mentor. Oh my gosh. Life is not a dress rehearsal. And it plays into what we've been saying, but one of my coaches for years, I've had coaches and mentors for the last two decades. I truly believe that like you need somebody showing you and guiding you the way. And myself as a coach, I can't expect people to hire me as a coach unless I'm also investing in myself. And he, he just really hammered this home. Like you have this one precious life to live and your creator has given you gifts and talents. Everybody has them gifts and talents that what are you waiting for? I think that that's the big thing is like, what are you waiting for? People get this destination obsession. Well, whenever I have this much money in the bank, then I'll try this. Then I'll try that. And remembering that, like, we don't know our days are numbered. We don't know how long we're going to be here, but I for dang sure want to figure out why I'm here. And I don't feel like everybody has just one purpose in life, but I know the talents that God has given me and it's my responsibility to show up and help people along the journey. It's like, whatever you've been through is a part of somebody else's survival handbook. (laughs) So are you putting yourself out there or are you playing it safe? I mean, I, you asked me earlier what that sign means in the back, but it's our dear friend, Teddy Roosevelt standing in the arena. And that is like, has been paramount in my life. It's been life changing for me, but remembering that life is not a dress rehearsal and I refuse to sit in the stands. I will forever stand in the arena, whether I'm bloodied up, (laughs) covered in dirt, you know, just laid out flat and tired. I will pick my sword back up and I'll get back in the arena because that's really where you feel alive. It's so true. And um, gosh, it gives me chills just hearing you say that, but it really is. I enjoy the like sort of not knowing, right? You have the old... um, the headlight driving in the dark adage, right? You can only see 50 feet in front of you, yet you keep going down the road. Sometimes you can't even see that far, you know, yeah. but you, you just keep going. Cause I know I don't want to work for someone else. I was a terrible employee. <laughs> I knew for so long. I mean, I was having this conversation last night with one of my friends for as long as I can remember, I've been walking, you know, always wanted the finer things in life. And my mom always told me, she's like, well, you better do something right, you know, be successful. And so since I was a little kid, I just told myself, cool, I'm going to be successful, whatever it is. And you manifest it. Right. And and you got to think that way. I love it so much. Uh, What is it about your career that makes you feel like you're fulfilling your why? My passion is sales coaching. So helping business owners, remember why they started their business in the first place and giving them the hope that they can do this and they can really build it. I mean, that like, that's everything to me. You know, if I get to a place one day where I don't 
need the income from anything and I'm independently wealthy, I will still be sales coaching because I just absolutely love it. That's awesome. I love that. And that is a real skill right there. Um, like you said, you know, capital raising is basically sales. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's huge. I love that. Uh, favorite non-real estate or investment related book. There's so many. Um, one of my, I mean, I love Joe Dispenza and all his, all his books of breaking the habit of being yourself. One of my recent most favorites is called the soul of money by Lynn twist. And it's really good. It's just reframing our belief about money and what's available and that money is simply a tool. And the more money you have, the more people that you can help. And abundance is, is already there. Sometimes we strive and think I need more money. I don't have enough time. I don't have this or that. It's like, you can have whatever you want, but it's all about how you, how you view it and how you look at it. And really unwinding a lot of beliefs that we have about money that come from our childhood that we're all carrying around and don't even realize it. But if you want to build a big brand and you want to help a lot of people and you want to help a lot of investors reach their own financial goals, you got to get your own money mindset right first. So I'm always looking for things around that. And that's one of my, my go-tos these days. I love that. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, I think to be invisible, I'm nosy. <laughs> I just like want to hear conversations. You could learn a lot if you <laughs> yeah. were invisible, that's for sure. Has anybody ever said that? Is that weird? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Actually, I, I just got that response as well for the exact same reasons. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I just want to know what people are saying, but I'm such like a communication person and like sales. And I'm like, I want to hear what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. But not read minds because that would just be like too much, but yeah. be invisible. So you could just, you know, be the proverbial fly on the wall and be like, yeah. oh, okay, got it. Yeah. In the rooms that you choose to be in too. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. It's awesome. Cool. Uh, last one. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you and learn more? Uh, you know, we have our websites, Hubbard Capital Group, but I'm social media. Just find me. I'm on Instagram, Keely Hubbard, LinkedIn, same thing, Facebook. And I'm very active in messages and you probably won't get a typed out message. You'll get a voice, a voice memo. That's my thing. I like to send voice messages. <laughs> so reach out. I'd love to hear from you. I love that. It's so personal getting a voice memo, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Cool. We'll link down the show notes, make it super easy. Keely, honestly, so powerful. Thank you so much for all of your insight. I'm so grateful that you had me on. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you again for tuning in. Who do you know that wants more cash flow? Share this episode with them so you can grow your cash flow together. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you're subscribed on your platform of choice so you never miss a new episode. Go to katanicapitalgroup.com to learn more.